we continue our time of worship, I'm going to turn to the book of John. One of my favorite gospels is the gospel of John. And I'm sure I've said this before, but I'm going to continue to say it. Anybody who has the audacity to give himself the nickname, the beloved of Christ, deserves to be listened to. Amen? But before I read, I want to tell you a quick story. It's important for us to recognize that in church today, we can sometimes list the things that we're doing, but miss what God is doing. We talk about chili cook-off, we talk about the if gathering, we talk about the things that we're doing, but sometimes we get sidetracked with what God's doing. And I'm here to tell you that God is moving through each of these things. And I want to tell you, in good Southern Baptist fashion, I'm going to testify for you this morning. God moves in mysterious ways. And our call and charge is to be faithful. And He will bring the fruit. This past Tuesday... I was getting ready for youth. I was excited. They were, the youth worship band was practicing and playing around, and I was getting last-minute things squared away. And lo and behold, my little buddy, Claire, walks up to me, and she goes, Hey, Pastor Bruce, can you tell me about Jesus? Sorry, give me a minute. So I asked her, I'm like, what do you want to know? And she said that she wanted to know what he did for her. And so we're like, okay. So we went into a quieter area because it was loud because of music. And we sat and we talked. And Miss Kristen was with us. And some of the youth were running around being crazy around us. And we just kind of talked about how Jesus died on the cross for her sins. And that with him, she can go to heaven. And with him... She can live a life that glorifies God. And let me tell you, I'm telling you this, but this is the response she gave me to the questions that I asked her. I asked her flat out, who do you say that Jesus is? And she told me not quite the same way, but in her own words, that exact thing. And so we talked through it, and at the end I asked her this important question. I said, hey, um, have you ever asked Jesus to be in your heart and be the Lord of your life? And she said, no. And I said, well, do you want to? And she said, yes. And I'm so excited because Reese and Melissa were there and I'm like, Kristen, please go get them real quick before we carry on this conversation. And so they came in and we prayed together about having Jesus be the Lord and boss of her life. And let me tell you something. That wasn't me. God gets the glory. Because what we see around in the church body is a corporate body working together towards discipleship. Paul wrote, I sow and Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. We work together. And if there's nothing more important about today's message than this, is discipleship happens both with you and through you. So let's read from John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, John writes, I am the true vine, 
and my father the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God, as we come before you, as we learn about abiding in you, as we learn about bearing fruit through the act of discipleship, that we can worship you through our serving others. Burden our hearts this morning for those that are far from you. Let us begin that discipleship journey with them and help draw them in closer to you. God, I boldly cry out, Move or move us. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce, for sharing that with us. And as I dismiss their kids to go to their classes, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Ephesians today. We're in the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, I would ask you to get one off the table out there, or you can actually now scan this QR code. And it will take you on your phone to the CSB, which is the version of the Bible that we have been using here on Sunday mornings. It'll be able, so you can follow along with us pretty easily with what we're reading. But today it's going to be a very simple message in the fact that we're only doing one verse today. As a matter of fact, this is the only time in all of our study on Ephesians we're only going to take time to do one verse. That verse today is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And the funny thing about this verse is that it brings us back full circle to what we started with in the beginning of 2023 when we began to ask the question of why? Why do we do what we do? What is our purpose? Because I think one of the biggest struggles that we all deal with, at least at some point in time in our life, is a sense of purpose. To know why am I alive? Why am I even here? Why do I live each day? As a matter of fact, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be diving into uh, our senior graduate recognition of our high schoolers and our colleges. I can't believe we're at that point in time of the year already. But any time you have a new chapter start in your life, like, well, what am I supposed to do next? How is this all supposed to go? What is God's plan for my life? On any given day, I think all people everywhere everywhere struggle with that. When we wake up tomorrow, we might ask, well, what gives today meaning? 
What, what is the, the purpose of it all? And, and what is the remedy of that terrifying sense of aimlessness or purposelessness that I can't shake it? How do we fix this? And I began to, to look at that and those same thoughts, I believe, were rattling around inside the wisest man, at least up to that point in time, that had ever lived on earth, King Solomon. King Solomon wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, and if you know his story, he's a guy who had everything. He had power, he had money, he had wisdom, he had women, literally everything one person could ever want or need. He was literally sitting in the lap of luxury, having everything. He looked out across the world, he looked out of all the things that he had done, all of his achievements, and in that, he looked over it and said, what's going on? What's going on? Because he penned this in the book of Ecclesiastes. It opens up with an introductory verse that says, this is who I am. This is the author of this. And the second verse of that book, he says these words, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. Or if you grew up in a different translation, everything is Vanity. Everything is meaningless. Worthlessness. To have everything that you could possibly want and the world has to offer and the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you're penning a letter that will be written and read for thousands of years and that's the first thing you come up with. What's, what's going on here? I mean, he had it all. And he wrote this down for the world to know. I'm not sure about you, but I don't want to reach the end of a single day and ever think that that day was meaningless. I don't ever want that. And I'm pretty sure you're with me when I say, I don't want to live a single day that is empty with purpose. And let me tell you this, praise God that by His grace and through His grace, we don't have to. As Christians, we get to experience the grace of God every single day. And because of it, it is literally bursting with promise of good works that are worth doing for God's glory. I can guarantee that Bruce didn't go into Tuesday night thinking this is what's going to happen. But God, as the verses we're going to see, planned ahead of time to bring that situation together and and, and open up a door to, to change a life. And as I see that, I'm just in awe. I'm in awe of God and what He has for each and every one of us. Let's read our verse today and what it says, and then we'll get further into it. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And that, in itself, is a powerful verse that is right to the point. You want to know what your purpose is? It is to do good works. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And really, we could stop right there and be done. Some of you are like, that'd be great. But I think there's so much more to what Paul is saying here that we need to grasp. Because unfortunately in the church, because we like to debate about things and we like to argue over things, there's something to do with those two words, good works, that causes people to have a hang-up. But I truly believe it shouldn't be that way. Because I think Paul makes it very clear. 
I think he makes it very clear because we go back to last week and last week uh, we looked at those two words, by grace. We looked at those two words, by grace. As a matter of fact, we've really looked at those two words, by grace, for our entire series. For the entire time we've talked about made worthy. The reason why we are made worthy is by the grace of God. If you remember our verses from last week, it was, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves, not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. I mean, we said it last week, God's grace is an amazing thing. It truly is an amazing thing. And if you look over the verses in Ephesians that we looked at so far, you can see His fingerprints of grace on every verse just about that we've talked about. Verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, grace has given us all spiritual blessings in Jesus. Verse 4 of chapter 1, God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. Verse 5, 11, and 12 of chapter 1, grace determined we will be like Jesus and with Jesus one day. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, grace has accepted us in Jesus and made us worthy to be accepted. Ephesians 1, 7, grace provided the blood of Jesus to wash us from our sins and our trespasses. One thirteen, grace marked us and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. 2, 1 through 3, grace reached out to us while we were still dead. 2, 4, grace loved us when we were unlovable. 2, 5, grace gave us life. 2, 6, and 7, grace secured our future. Grace also in 2, 8, and 9 gave us salvation. Secured our salvation and saved us from God's wrath. Everything we have as believers is ours through and by the grace of God. We've earned nothing that we have. We deserve nothing we've been giving. It's all because of God's grace that we have anything in Christ Jesus. And you know what? God's given us those gifts of His grace without asking for a thing in return. He's never said, hey, I need you to repay me for that grace that I've shown you. Because if He did, it wouldn't be grace. However, I do think when I look at this verse that God does expect a return on His investment. He expects a return on this investment because as I look at it, it says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The passage we talked about last week tells us what we are saved by. Really, the how. We're saved by grace. And then this week's passage tells us why we were saved in the first place. Why did he make that investment? As a matter of fact, the whole chapter, how did it start out? It started out with the fact that you were dead. But God, you were made alive, and you were made alive for what purpose? For his glory, for good works. To me, Paul makes it clear. We are saved by grace, and we are changed by grace. And now, we belong to God in Christ. And now that we belong there, he is working on us, He's also working in us. And the reason why He's working on us and in us is so He can work through us. And when you really stop and think about it, He can't work in us until He works for us in Christ. He brought us to that point. Now, Paul makes it clear it's not our works that save us. I truly believe that he makes it incredibly clear. If you want to have that discussion sometime, we can do that. But our works, they flow from the God's grace that has been shown to us. Our works do matter. It's our response to His goodness. Our doing for Christ comes from us being in Christ. It flows out of us. The work of grace 
in us results in some very real changes in our lives. And those changes begin to allow us to live for God and our living for Him brings glory to His name. And that, I believe, is that return on investment that He desires. It's Him getting the glory. While our works don't save, our works do play a huge part in our Christian lives. See, Paul tells us that when grace comes to a lost sinner, when grace comes to a lost sinner, that lost sinner is born again. And a new creation is made in Jesus. Paul says the old is gone and the new has come. The old desires and the old way of living are now dead. They are crucified with Christ. He says, I no longer live, but instead Christ lives in me. I have a brand new life in Jesus. What God works in us by His grace will work its way out of us because of that grace. Not only are we saved by grace, we are changed by that same grace. As the God of grace works itself out in our lives, we'll show Him through those works. Again, 2, 8, and 9. Say it over and over and over again, by the way, in case you're ever going to catch this. It makes it very clear. Works have no part in our salvation. We're not saved by what we do. But we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the proof that God's grace is working in us is seen in God's work showing itself through us. John Calvin said it this way, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And what he means by that is, works don't save us, but we are saved to work. James, the brother of Jesus, says it in this way in the book of James, Our faith without works is dead. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, I'll show you my faith by my works. See, today's verse is all about the work of grace in our lives. This verse, it tells us what the Lord does in us when He saves us and how He works through us to accomplish His will in this world. The verse that we have here, I'm going to tell you, it was a challenge to me all week long as I was going through it, even so much so that, that I scrapped my message three different times on Friday and started over again because I'm like, this is not... It's such a challenge. I want us to get it. I want us to see that we are to live and be the examples of grace, be the trophies of grace that He saved us to be. And we are challenged to have that in our lives. As a matter of fact, we're going to take some time and we're going to break down this verse. And it's not my norm to give you three points that start with the same letter. That You, know, you went Old Baptist style, so I'm going to go Old Baptist style today too. But Paul did it for me, so it's real easy for me to be able to do this. They're all going to start with the letter W, and in that, it's going to be this. Workmanship, works, and walk. Workmanship, works, and walk. So let's start with workmanship today. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. The word workmanship means this. That which is made a work or a work of art. It actually comes from the Greek word that brings us our word poem. It refers to an artist's magnum opus. Now, I'm not sure if you know what that is, but it's the greatest artistic achievement of an artist. So what Paul is saying here, it's the artist's masterpiece. He is calling you his greatest achievement. Stop and just let that soak in for just a second. Because Paul says, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ are God's greatest achievements are God's greatest masterpieces. 
I love how Chuck Swindoll applies it in this principle in his commentary on the book of Ephesians. And I just typed out what he said because I couldn't say it any better. He said this, Museums are filled with room after room of paintings, statues, and other works of creativity and beauty. Usually beside or beneath each work of art, a small sign gives the name of the artist, the title of the piece, the date of its production, and the materials used to produce it. Every art connoisseur knows the most important piece of information on that sign is the name of the artist. Nobody exclaims, that's on canvas, or that's from 1870. But you'll hear countless voices whispering in awe, that's a Rembrandt, or that's a Picasso. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, describes how the divine artist took broken materials and began an ongoing process of producing a glorious work of art. It began with a miraculous resurrection from the spiritual dead and will culminate in the ultimate display of riches of His grace in the coming ages. In the meantime, God's work of redemption in our lives is meant to bring Him glory and honor through our good works, enabled and motivated by His grace. In fact, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Swindoll goes on to say this, However, with these good works on display, it's tempting to try and take credit for them ourselves. But we must resist that temptation. Paul stated that God made us alive by His grace and that we are His workmanship. Having been made alive in Christ, His life flows through us by the Holy Spirit and streams out in our good works. Because our good works are a result of God's work, we are His workmanship. He is the artist. We are the medium through which he displays his glory. We can't forget that he is the artist and we are merely just the artwork. We are the thing that is created. And when you think about the raw materials he had to work with, God saves sinners and changes their lives and makes that grace that much more amazing. And he did it on purpose. And he did it for a purpose. You are a masterpiece for the world to see. You are not supposed to be under museum quality glass and back in the back. You are supposed to be on full display. Second Corinthians 3 verses 2 and 3 tells us this. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. We are God's love letter to the world. We are God's love letter to the world. He has written love in you and on you, and He tells us that we take this message to the world, that He loved the world so much that He sent His Son so that we wouldn't be eternally separated from Him without Him. And what does that letter say? Well, the letter says there is life-changing power in the grace of God. It says that the gospel is real. It says that you can come as you are, but God does not want you to stay that way. He says that Jesus Christ makes all the difference in every life that He redeems through the power of His blood. Guess what? That's our story. Now, you might have a crazy out there story, kind of like when Josh shared a couple of, couple of weeks ago, now, like a month ago. Or it could be something as simple as Claire just asking but the story is still the same. The end result is still the same. The, the blood of Jesus has redeemed that person, you, from eternal damnation and has brought him into, your fam- into his family. How awesome is that? 
How awesome is that to really stop and think about? And he wants people around the world to read that story, to see that story, to hear that story. No artist creates a masterpiece and then shoves it in the closet. He wants it on full display. We are his workmanship. And that next thing it says, it says created. Created in Christ Jesus. Created means to form or to shape, to make something out of nothing. This word speaks of a new thing. It's a new thing. And please don't miss the power of these two words when it says created because we live in a world that thinks they can create themselves or create their own identity. Can I just shake my head at that? Because that's an amazingly arrogant and egotistical thought that the created can tell the creator that he's wrong. And from the very beginning... That's been the problem, hasn't it? Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? Well, God, you think you know, however, you don't. When the created tells the creator this is where it stands, the problem we run into is that we are trying to eliminate the creator at all or at least make ourselves equal to. And it's not just out there. I know a lot of times we like to say, well, out there. But it happens so much in the church as well. Just happened to read an article yesterday They talked about this, that too many churches and people in them are concerned with being relevant and they miss the need to be reverent. Too many people are centering their lives around being liked or being cool and they are missing the fact that we are not called to be liked or cool. We're called to love God and love others. And when we miss that, remember, this whole thing, it's not about us. We are not at the center of the universe. It is all about the Creator. We have been created, and we've been created to be trophies of God's saving grace. And I want you to think about this. In all of creation, all the things that point to God, when we see the mountain turn that beautiful red and the sun coming up over the top of it or the sunset to the the west, all the things, or if you go other places and see a waterfall, everybody goes, man, look at God's handiwork. But I will tell you, that handiwork has nothing on the thing that He created in you. That you are that thing that declares His power and declares His glory and declares His existence more than anything else. I mean, when you stop and think about it, every child of God who walks, talks, acts, and thinks and lives differently because of the grace of God, what are you displaying? The amazingness of that grace because we were messed up before Him. But yet He still reached out as a bold, powerful witness to the power of our great and awesome God. And not only did He just create us, there's two more words I want you to see in there. He created us in Christ. We are created in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that two words are mentioned 89 different times in the New Testament? And we find the description of believers being in Christ. Why is it so important? Because you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. You're either in Christ and saved in Christ or you are not. You're either redeemed in Christ or you are not. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of God is because you're in Christ. Kingdom of darkness because you're not. There's all kinds of either ors. The first nine verses of our chapter that we've been looking at for the last three weeks, Ephesians chapter 2, you once were, but God, you now are. But God brings you in Christ. And you are in Christ by the grace of God. And guess what? The good works that we have flow from that. 
We're not trying to earn anything. We're just saying, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your love. And we can't just try and muster it up on our own. Because like Pastor Bruce right up front, it says, remain in Christ. In Him. Abide in Him. Because apart from Him, we can't do anything. And I love that last verse. One that doesn't normally get talked about in John chapter 15. Normally it's just the first five verses about the vine. But listen to what it says in verse 8. It says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And we skipped in our passage the first word, for. We jumped right into workmanship. But the word for actually ties it back. As a matter of fact, if you look at 8 and 9, it starts off with the word for, because it ties back to verses 1 through 7. This for ties back to 8 and 9. And as we look at it, it's because it's all by the grace of God that this happens. So that we can't boast. If you want to glory and boast, can I challenge you to do this? Boast and glory in the grace of God because it's never been about us. I love what Paul says in the book of Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. That's all just the first W. I told you there's a lot in this verse. Because the second W is this. It's the word works. It says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we've already said it, but it's 100% worth saying again because in any class on communication that I've ever taken, it says, say things to the point that people get tired of hearing it and then you finally almost said it enough. Works don't save us. But works are an outflow of our salvation. Good works will be the definition of our lives. The word good means that which excels is useful of good nature. And the word works means employment, something of which one is occupied, or better yet, how we spend our time. If you look back at the beginning of the chapter, when it said you once were, how do we spend our time? The answer is in our fleshly desires. We spent our time doing what we wanted to do, but now you are in Christ, and your life is different, and how you spend your time will be different. When you are in Christ, you are again new and he is your lord and savior now most people like the idea of the savior part because the savior part means i'm not going to hell i like that too but it doesn't just say savior in the bible it says lord and savior even as bruce was talking about leading claire in the prayer and all the things that go with it he said do you understand that jesus will be your lord and savior what is a lord well, the basic definition is, is one who has power or authority over others. But the biblical definition takes it even a step further to say, He's our master. He's our master. And if He is the Lord of your life, your life will show it. Now, for the people in the back, let me say that again. Or as a podcast I listen to, that's so nice, I think I'm going to say it twice. If He is the Lord of your life, your life will show it. His presence and direction will be seen in your life. 
Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. As a matter of fact, I saw Micah's shirt had that on as she was up here singing. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It's one of those memory verses that we talked about last week that sometimes we memorize but we don't quite understand. This is what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now we know that. You may have even sang the song growing up. Salty the Psalm Book. Whatever person sang that whole thing, some of you went, what? what? Another one went, yeah, I remember Salty. Here's the thing that we see. We have to look at that verse in context. We have to look at what surrounds us. We fully understand what these fruit of the Spirit are. Back in verse 16 of Galatians, chapter 5, it says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. You once were in the flesh. You now are in the Spirit. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Now these are going to be fun for you. I'm just going to let you know. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is walking in the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit, the things that should be in your life if you are in Christ is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have, what are those next words? Crucified the flesh. I'm not living in that junk anymore with His passions and His desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Why do I read this to you? Well, because lots of people claim to be Christians. And lots of people claim to be saved. And they think they did all that was necessary, like pray a prayer, or raise their hand in an altar call, or join the church, or get baptized. But the problem is, they still live in the flesh. They have missed the most important thing, and that is Jesus. They have missed Jesus. Like it says in Matthew 7 when Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who says, Hey, you're my master. Hey, you're my master. Will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What does that mean? It means that if I'm going to say he's my master, I'm only going to act like it as well. I'm going to live like it as well. They thought they were doing what was good, but they weren't doing the will of the Father in heaven. And Jesus says what to them? I never knew you i never knew you it's all about the walk of our lives you know i'm excited about summer already for a number of reasons but one of them is is that we get to go from made worthy to how we respond and walk worthy see ephesians has two sections one through three and then four through six and in four through six it starts with this there's a transition statement it says therefore i the prisoner in the lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you've received. You've been made worthy, now we walk worthy. Or Colossians 1, 9-10 says, For this reason also, since that day that we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk 
worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. That's our third dub. Walk. Walk. When we look at that, you're like, wait a second, you said it was in the verse. The CSB translation says what God prepared ahead of time for us to do. But the more literal translation, if you have King James or if you have ESV or one of those, you know what it says? It says these words, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in these things. The word walk means to make one's ways. It means to regulate one's life, to make full use of our opportunities. And the tense of the word that is in here, and trust me, I'm not a Greek person. I'm just reading off of other people's stuff that they've done all the study work for me. It means once and for all. It means you don't get to turn it off and turn it on. It doesn't mean you get to to walk this way when you want to and walk that way when you want to. You either walk in Him or you don't. And so we look at this, and it means a fixed way of life that is committed to living the way God intended for His people to live. Well, how does God intend people to live for His glory? Well, I'm grateful that He didn't just save us one book or one letter of the Bible. He saved us the whole Bible, and it is full of ways that we walk. Let me share with you just a couple of them. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, favorite passages. I have to read it from the CSB. I've memorized it in the NASB. But here's what it says. Pay careful attention then in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How does He want us to walk? In His will. In His will. Not my will, but yours, God. John thirteen thirty five. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How does he want us to walk? In love. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commands. How does he want us to walk? In obedience. 1 Corinthians 4, 2. In this regard, it is required that man is to be found faithful. How does he want us to walk? In faithfulness. 1 Peter 1.16 For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. How does He want us to walk? In holiness. Now, sanctification is a big word. It's one that doesn't get thrown around a lot except in like theological circles. But it's a process of becoming holy. It's simply what it is. It means to be set apart for a purpose. You know why God saved you? For a purpose. He has set you apart for a purpose. He saved us from a life of sin and begins a process of transforming our life. He's making us into the image of His Son. Now, let me just tell you this. We are not perfect the instant we are saved. We don't all of a sudden be like, oh, and everything is all better. And we have a nice little glow around us and we don't sin anymore. But there is a process that is taking place. We are being changed and that change should begin to show itself in an ever-growing holiness before God and before mankind. God has planned to use these works not just in us, but for us. To change us, to make us more like Him, to display His glory in our daily lives. And that means we have to die to ourselves. We have to die to our fleshly desires. They must be crucified and allow Him to be that Lord. Allow Him to use us however and whatever way that He wills it. That reminds me of another memory verse from back in the day. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, I have to read it because I memorized it in a different version. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. What's he saying? You have to offer yourself up. You have to die to yourself and you have to stop trying to crawl off the altar. You have to stop saying, "Uh, uh, maybe Sunday mornings for one hour. That's not it. It's it's an all the time thing. A faith that is real reveals itself through the works that that are righteous. When God, through His grace, saves a sinner from spiritual death, saves a sinner from the lives of the world, saves a sinner from the depravity of their old life and the end result of his sins, He does not save that person to live however they want. He saves that person to live for Him. He brings them out of death so they can live a new life through Christ. He brings them out of the world of deception so they can know the truth. He saves them out of depravity so they can walk in righteousness. He saves them from their sins so they can enjoy the blessings of His salvation. God does not save us so that we can live for ourselves. He saves us so we can live for Him. He saves us so we can walk in the newness of life. He saves us so we can use, He can use us for His glory in this world. He saves us. And He puts us to work for Him to bring a lost world to Jesus Christ. So as we close, I just have a couple of questions for you. I know this was a heavy passage. I was challenged by it. But the first question is this. Have you been saved and changed by God's grace? Because if you, if, you, if you have not, today is the day. Today is the day He will come into your life if you will come to Him and He will save your soul and He will change everything. Second question is this. Is your life marked not by perfection, but by profound change and by works that glorify God. If it is, thank God for His grace. If it is not, you should probably ask why. Is it because you haven't allowed Him to take that Lord role? You gave Him the Savior role, but not the Lord role? Or why? What is it exactly that you are chasing after? Remember how I read the second verse of the book of Ecclesiastes, that everything is meaningless, that everything is vanity, that everything is futile, all that. You know how after 12 chapters, King Solomon wraps up his book after saying, here's all the things that are worthless and meaningless. The last two verses of the chapter say this, of the book. It says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep His commandments because this is for all humility. Basically, there's only one thing to chase after. All the things in life we chase after, there's only one thing. And he had it all. So he knows. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So chase after him. Is your life marked by a profound change and by works that glorify God? Third question, are you doing everything that God has called you to do? Are you doing everything that God's called you to do? If you're not, let me invite you to fully surrender to His will and allow Him to take the reins of your life for His glory. I shall say this. I have never talked to a pastor that has said, well, every single one of our volunteer positions are filled. Every person in the church is doing exactly what they've been called to do. Never heard that. As a matter of fact, there's a general rule in church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 
That shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be the case. And, and I, I should be hearing an amen from Bruce over here who's like, come and work in the children's department. <laughs> here, here's what we need to see. Are we doing everything that God has called us to do? And if not, why not? The last question I have is this. Are you grateful to Him for His work of grace in your life? Because if you are, your life should show it. If you're happy and you know it, that's right, clap some hands. You know what I'm saying? We should be showing the world about the life-changing work that has taken place in our lives, and we should be telling them that they can experience it too. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for the way you continue to work in each and every one of our lives, the way you continue to challenge us and change us to be more like you. Sometimes it hurts just a little bit as you chisel off the junk to make that masterpiece. As you break off the things that we hold on to so tightly because we think somehow we need them when all we really need is you. God, today, I pray you are already working in our hearts. I pray you're already working in our minds to to be more like you, to come to the altar and to lay ourselves down. God, if there's people in here that don't know you as their Savior, I pray today is the day. If there's people in here that know you as Savior but don't know you as Lord, I pray today is the day the change takes place. That that sanctification process begins to work itself out in us for your glory and your honor. We pray it all in your name. Amen. This last song we're going to sing, I didn't tell Kyle what to sing or how to do it, but I looked and saw the set list and went, oh, Oh, let me read for you the words because it's exactly what I'm going to challenge you to do today. It's called, Oh, Come to the Altar. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Guess what? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with that precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and your mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait because Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Can I tell you that Jesus is calling you today? to take the next step in your faith journey, whatever that might look like. I'll be down here in the front to pray with you. But if you want to do it on your own, I completely understand that as well. A time of confession of saying, God, you, I'm thankful for being my Savior, but I am sorry that I have tried to still be the Lord. Whatever that might look like, do that during this last song.
As we continue our time of worship, I'm going to turn to the book of John. One of my favorite gospels is the gospel of John. And I'm sure I've said this before, but I'm going to continue to say it. Anybody who has the audacity to give himself the nickname, the beloved of Christ, deserves to be listened to. Amen? But before I read, I want to tell you a quick story. It's important for us to recognize that in church today, we can sometimes list the things that we're doing, but miss what God is doing. We talk about chili cook-off, we talk about the if gathering, we talk about the things that we're doing, but sometimes we get sidetracked for what God's doing. And I'm here to tell you that God is moving through each of these things, and I want to tell you in good Southern Baptist fashion, I'm going to testify for you this morning. God moves in mysterious ways. And our call and charge is to be faithful. And He will bring the fruit. This past Tuesday, I was getting ready for youth. I was excited. They were the youth worship band was practicing and playing around, and I was getting last-minute things squared away. And lo and behold, my little buddy, Claire, walks up to me, and she goes, Hey, Pastor Bruce, can you tell me about Jesus? Sorry, give me a minute. So I asked her, I'm like, What do you want to know? And she said that she wanted to know what he did for her. And so we're like, okay. So we went into a quieter area because it was loud because of music. And we sat and we talked. And Miss Kristen was with us. And some of the youth were running around being crazy around us. And we just kind of talked about how Jesus died on the cross for her sins. And that with him, she can go to heaven. And with him, she can live a life that glorifies God. And let me tell you, I'm telling you this, but this is the response she gave me to the questions that I asked her. I asked her flat out, who do you say that Jesus is? And she told me not quite the same way, but in her own words, that exact thing. And so we talked through it, and at the end I asked her this important question. I said, hey, um, have you ever asked Jesus to be in your heart and be the Lord of your life? And she said, no. And I said, well, do you want to? And she said, yes. And I'm so excited because Reese and Melissa were there. And I'm like, Kristen, please go get them real quick before we carry on this conversation. And so they came in and we prayed together about having Jesus be the Lord and boss of her life. And let me tell you something. That wasn't me. God gets the glory. Because what we see around in the church body is a corporate body working together towards discipleship. Paul wrote, I sow and Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. We work together. And if there's nothing more important about today's message than this, is discipleship happens both with you and through you. So let's read from John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, John writes, I am the true vine, 
and my Father, the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God, as we come before you, as we learn about abiding in you, as we learn about bearing fruit through the act of discipleship, that we can worship you through our serving others. Burden our hearts this morning for those that are far from you. Let us begin that discipleship journey with them and help draw them in closer to you. God, I boldly cry out, move or move us. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce, for sharing that with us. and. This morning, I'm going to dismiss our kids to go to their classes. And one, kids, I want you to talk to Claire about the decision she made. And then two, I need you all to remind Griffin that it's birthday by singing happy birthday to him today. Because he's 10 today, Griff. Woo! As I dismiss our kids to go to their classes. Hey, buddy, you all right? As I dismiss their kids to go to their classes, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Ephesians today. We're in the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, I would ask you to get one off the table out there, or you can actually now scan this QR code, and it will take you on your phone to the CSB, which is the version of the Bible that we have been using here on Sunday mornings. It'll be able, so you can follow along with us pretty easily with what we're reading, but today it's going to be a very simple message in the fact that we're only doing one verse today. As a matter of fact, this is the only time in all of our study on Ephesians we're only going to take time to do one verse. That verse today is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And the funny thing about this verse is that it brings us back full circle to what we started with in the beginning of 2023 when we began to ask the question of why? Why do we do what we do? What is our purpose? Because I think one of the biggest struggles that we all deal with at least at some point in time in our life is a sense of purpose. To know why am I alive? Why am I even here? Why do I live each day? As a matter of fact, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be diving into uh, our senior graduate recognition of our high schoolers and our college. I can't believe we're at that point in time of the year already. 
But any time you have a new chapter start in your life, like, well, what am I supposed to do next? How is this all supposed to go? What is God's plan for my life? On any given day, I think all people everywhere, everywhere struggle with that. When we wake up tomorrow, we might ask, well, what gives today meaning? What, what is the, the purpose of it all? And, and what is the remedy of that terrifying sense of aimlessness or purposelessness that I can't shake it? How do we fix this? And I began to, to look at that and those same thoughts, I believe, were rattling around inside the wisest man, at least up to that point in time, that had ever lived on earth, King Solomon. King Solomon wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, and if you know his story, he's a guy who had everything. He had power, he had money, he had wisdom, he had women, literally everything one person could ever want or need. He was literally sitting in the lap of luxury, having everything. He looked out across the world, he looked out of all the things that he had done, all of his achievements, and in that, he looked over it and said, what's going on? What's going on? Because he penned this in the book of Ecclesiastes. It opens up with an introductory verse that says, this is who I am. This is the author of this. And the second verse of that book, he says these words, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. Or if you grew up in a different translation, everything is Vanity. Everything is meaningless. Worthlessness. To have everything that you could possibly want and the world has to offer and the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you're penning a letter that will be written and read for thousands of years and that's the first thing you come up with. What's, what's going on here? I mean, he had it all. And he wrote this down for the world to know. I'm not sure about you, but I don't want to reach the end of a single day and ever think that that day was meaningless. I don't ever want that. And I'm pretty sure you're with me when I say, I don't want to live a single day that is empty with purpose. And let me tell you this, praise God that by His grace and through His grace, we don't have to. As Christians, we get to experience the grace of God every single day. And because of it, it is literally bursting with promise of good works that are worth doing for God's glory. I can guarantee that Bruce didn't go into Tuesday night thinking this is what's going to happen. But God, as the verses we're going to see, planned ahead of time to bring that situation together and and, and open up a door to, to change a life. And as I see that, I'm just in awe. I'm in awe of God and what He has for each and every one of us. Let's read our verse today and what it says, and then we'll get further into it. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And that, in itself, is a powerful verse that is right to the point. You want to know what your purpose is? It is to do good works. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And really, we could stop right there and be done. Some of you are like, that'd be great. 
But I, I think there's so much more to what Paul is saying here that we need to grasp. Because unfortunately in the church, because we like to debate about things and we like to argue over things, there's something to do with those two words, good works, that causes people to have a hang-up. But I truly believe it shouldn't be that way. Because I think Paul makes it very clear. I think he makes it very clear. Because we go back to last week, and last week uh, we looked at those two words, by grace. We looked at those two words, by grace. As a matter of fact, we've really looked at those two words, by grace, for our entire series. For the entire time we've talked about made worthy. The reason why we are made worthy is by the grace of God. If you remember our verses from last week, it was, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves, not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. I mean, we said it last week, God's grace is an amazing thing. It truly is an amazing thing. And if you look over the verses in Ephesians that we looked at so far, you can see His fingerprints of grace on every verse just about that we've talked about. Verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, grace has given us all spiritual blessings in Jesus. Verse 4 of chapter 1, God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. Verse 5, 11, and 12 of chapter 1, Grace determined we will be like Jesus and with Jesus one day. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. Grace has accepted us in Jesus and made us worthy to be accepted. Ephesians 1 7. Grace provided the blood of Jesus to wash us from our sins and our trespasses. 1 13. Grace marked us and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. 2 1 through 3. Grace reached out to us while we were still dead. 2.4, grace loved us when we were unlovable. 2.5, grace gave us life. 2.6 and 7, grace secured our future. Grace also in 2.8 and 9 gave us salvation. Secured our save, salvation and saved us from God's wrath. Everything we have as believers is ours through and by the grace of God. We have earned nothing that we have. We deserve nothing we've been giving it's all because of God's grace that we have anything in Christ Jesus. And you know what? God's given us those gifts of His grace without asking for a thing in return. He's never said, hey, I need you to repay me for that grace that I've shown you. Because if He did, it wouldn't be grace. However, I do think when I look at this verse that God does expect a return on His investment. He expects a return on this investment because as I look at it, it says, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. The passage we talked about last week tells us what we are saved by. Really, the how. We're saved by grace. And then this week's passage tells us why we were saved in the first place. Why did He make that investment? As a matter of fact, the whole chapter, how did it start out? It started out with the fact that you were dead but God you were made alive and you were made alive for what purpose for his glory for good works to me Paul makes it clear we are saved by grace and we are changed by grace and now we belong to God in Christ and now that we belong there he is working on us he's also working in us and the reason why he's working on us and in us is so he can work through us and when you really stop and think about it, He can't work in us until He works for us in Christ. He brought us to that point. Now, Paul makes it clear it's not our works that save us. 
I truly believe that He makes it incredibly clear. If you want to have that discussion sometime, we can do that. But our works, they flow from the God's grace that has been shown to us. Our works do matter. It's our response to His goodness. Our doing for Christ comes from us being in Christ. It flows out of us. The work of grace in us results in some very real changes in our lives. And those changes begin to allow us to live for God. And our living for Him brings glory to His name. And that, I believe, is that return on investment that He desires. It's Him getting the glory. While our works don't save, our works do play a huge part in our Christian lives. See, Paul tells us that when grace comes to a lost sinner, when grace comes to a lost sinner, that lost sinner is born again. And a new creation is made in Jesus. Paul says the old is gone and the new has come. The old desires and the old way of living are now dead. They are crucified with Christ. He says, I no longer live, but instead Christ lives in me. I have a brand new life in Jesus. What God works in us by His grace will work its way out of us because of that grace. Not only are we saved by grace, we are changed by that same grace. As the God of grace works itself out in our lives, we'll show Him through those works. Again, 2, 8, and 9. Say it over and over and over again, by the way, in case you're ever going to catch this. It makes it very clear. Works have no part in our salvation. We're not saved by what we do. But we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the proof that God's grace is working in us is seen in God's work showing itself through us. John Calvin said it this way, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And what he means by that is, works don't save us, but we are saved to work. James, the brother of Jesus, says it in this way in the book of James, Our faith without works is dead. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, I'll show you my faith by my works. See, today's verse is all about the work of grace in our lives. This verse, it tells us what the Lord does in us when He saves us and how He works through us to accomplish His will in this world. The verse that we have here, I'm going to tell you, it was a challenge to me all week long as I was going through it, even so much so that, that I scrapped my message three different times on Friday and started over again because I'm like, this is not... It's such a challenge. I want us to get it. I want us to see that we are to live and be the examples of grace, be the trophies of grace that He saved us to be. And we are challenged to have that in our lives. As a matter of fact, we're going to take some time and we're going to break down this verse. And it's not my norm to give you three points that start with the same letter. That You, know, you went Old Baptist style, so I'm going to go Old Baptist style today too. But Paul did it for me, so it's real easy for me to be able to do this. We're all going to start with the letter W, and in that, it's going to be this. Workmanship, works, and walk. Workmanship, works, and walk. So let's start with workmanship today. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. The word workmanship means this. That which is made a work, or a work of art. It actually comes from the Greek word that brings us our word, poem. It refers to an artist's magnum opus. Now, I'm not sure if you know what that is, but it's the greatest artistic achievement of an artist. 
So what Paul is saying here, it's the artist's masterpiece. He is calling you his greatest achievement. Stop and just let that soak in for just a second. Because Paul says, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ are God's greatest achievements. Are God's greatest masterpieces. I love how Chuck Swindoll applies it in this principle in his commentary on the book of Ephesians. And I just typed out what he said because I couldn't say it any better. He said this, Museums are filled with room after room of paintings, statues, and other works of creativity and beauty. Usually beside or beneath each work of art, a small sign gives the name of the artist, the title of the piece, the date of its production, and the materials used to produce it. Every art connoisseur knows the most important piece of information on that sign is the name of the artist. Nobody exclaims, that's on canvas, or that's from 1870. But you'll hear countless voices whispering in awe, that's a Rembrandt, or that's a Picasso. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, describes how the divine artist took broken materials and began an ongoing process of producing a glorious work of art. It began with a miraculous resurrection from the spiritual dead and will culminate in the ultimate display of riches of His grace in the coming ages. In the meantime, God's work of redemption in our lives is meant to bring Him glory and honor through our good works, enabled and motivated by His grace. In fact, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Swindoll goes on to say this, However, with these good works on display, it's tempting to try and take credit for them ourselves. But we must resist that temptation. Paul stated that God made us alive by His grace and that we are His workmanship. Having been made alive in Christ, His life flows through us by the Holy Spirit and streams out in our good works. Because our good works are a result of God's work, we are His workmanship. He is the artist. We are the medium through which He displays His glory. We can't forget that He is the artist and we are merely just the artwork. We are the thing that is created. And when you think about the raw materials he had to work with, God saves sinners and changes their lives and makes that grace that much more amazing. And he did it on purpose. And he did it for a purpose. You are a masterpiece for the world to see. You are not supposed to be under museum quality glass and back in the back. You are supposed to be on full display. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 2 and 3 tells us this. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. We are God's love letter to the world. We are God's love letter to the world. He has written love in you and on you, and He tells us that we take this message to the world, that He loved the world so much that He sent His Son so that we wouldn't be eternally separated from Him without Him. And what does that letter say? Well, the letter says there is life-changing power in the grace of God. It says that the gospel is real. It says that you can come as you are, but God does not want you to stay that way. He says that Jesus Christ makes all the difference in every life that He redeems through the power of His blood. Guess what? That's our story. Now, you might have a crazy out there story, kind of like when Josh shared a couple of 
couple of weeks ago, now like a month ago. Or it could be something as simple as Claire just asking. But the story is still the same. The end result is still the same. The, the blood of Jesus has redeemed that person, you, from eternal damnation and has brought him into, your fam- into his family. How awesome is that? How awesome is that to really stop and think about? And he wants people around the world to read that story, to see that story, to hear that story. No artist creates a masterpiece and then shoves it in the closet. He wants it on full display. We are his workmanship. And that next thing it says, it says created. Created in Christ Jesus. Created means to form or to shape, to make something out of nothing. This word speaks of a new thing. It's a new thing. And please don't miss the power of these two words when it says created because we live in a world that thinks they can create themselves or create their own identity. Can I just shake my head at that? Because that's an amazingly arrogant and egotistical thought that the created can tell the creator that he's wrong. And from the very beginning... That's been the problem, hasn't it? Isn't that what Adam and Eve did? God, you think you know, however, you don't. When the created tells the creator this is where it stands, the problem we run into is that we are trying to eliminate the creator at all or at least make ourselves equal to. And it's not just out there. I know a lot of times we like to say, well, out there. But it happens so much in the church as well. Just happened to read an article yesterday They talked about this, that too many churches and people in them are concerned with being relevant and they miss the need to be reverent. Too many people are centering their lives around being liked or being cool and they are missing the fact that we are not called to be liked or cool. We're called to love God and love others. And when we miss that, remember, this whole thing, it's not about us. We are not at the center of the universe. It is all about the Creator. We have been created, and we've been created to be trophies of God's saving grace. And I want you to think about this. In all of creation, all the things that point to God, when we see the mountain turn that beautiful red and the sun coming up over the top of it or the sunset to the, to the west, all the things, or if you go other places and see a waterfall, everybody goes, man, look at God's handiwork. But I will tell you, that handiwork has nothing on the thing that He created in you. That you are that thing that declares His power and declares His glory and declares His existence more than anything else. I mean, when you stop and think about it, every child of God who walks, talks, acts, and thinks and lives differently because of the grace of God, what are you displaying? The amazingness of that grace because we were messed up before Him. But yet He still reached out as a bold, powerful witness to the power of our great and awesome God. And not only did He just create us, there's two more words I want you to see in there. He created us in Christ. We are created in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that two words are mentioned 89 different times in the New Testament? And we find the description of believers being in Christ. Why is it so important? Because you're either in Christ or you're in Adam. You're either in Christ and saved in Christ or you are not. You're either redeemed in Christ or you are not. You're either in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of darkness. Kingdom of God is because you're in Christ. Kingdom of darkness is because you're not. 
There's all kinds of either ors. The first nine verses of our chapter that we've been looking at for the last three weeks, Ephesians chapter 2, you once were, but God, you now are. But God brings you in Christ. And you are in Christ by the grace of God. And guess what? The good works that we have flow from that. We're not trying to earn anything. We're just saying, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your love. And we can't just try and muster it up on our own. Because like Pastor Bruce right up front, it says, remain in Christ. In Him. Abide in Him. Because apart from Him, we can't do anything. And I love that last verse. One that doesn't normally get talked about in John chapter 15. Normally it's just the first five verses about the vine. But listen to what it says in verse 8. It says, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And we skipped in our passage the first word, for. We jumped right into workmanship. But the word for actually ties it back. As a matter of fact, if you look at 8 and 9, it starts off with the word for, because it ties back to verses 1 through 7. This for ties back to 8 and 9. And as we look at it, it's because it's all by the grace of God that this happens. So that we can't boast. If you want to glory and boast, can I challenge you to this? Boast and glory in the grace of God because it's never been about us. I love what Paul says in the book of Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. For both circumcision and uncircumcision mean nothing. What matters instead is a new creation. That's all just the first W. I told you there's a lot in this verse. Because the second W is this. It's the word works. It says we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we've already said it, but it's 100% worth saying again because in any class on communication that I've ever taken, it says, say things to the point people get tired of hearing it and then you finally almost said it enough. Works don't save us. But works are an outflow of our salvation. Good works will be the definition of our lives. The word good means that which excels is useful of good nature. And the word works means employment, something of which one is occupied, or better yet, how we spend our time. If you look back at the beginning of the chapter, when it said you once were, how did we spend our time? The answer is in our fleshly desires. We spent our time doing what we wanted to do, but now you are in Christ, and your life is different, and how you spend your time will be different. When you are in Christ, you are again new and he is your lord and savior now most people like the idea of the savior part because the savior part means i'm not going to hell i like that too but it doesn't just say savior in the bible it says lord and savior even as bruce was talking about leading claire in the prayer and all the things that go with it he said do you understand that jesus will be your lord and savior what is a lord well, the basic definition is, is one who has power or authority over others. But the biblical definition takes it even a step further to say, He's our master. He's our master. 
And if He is the Lord of your life, your life will show it. Now, for the people in the back, let me say that again. Or as a podcast I listen to, that's so nice, I think I'm going to say it twice. If He is the Lord of your life, your life will show it. His presence and direction will be seen in your life. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. As a matter of fact, I saw Micah's shirt had that on as she was up here singing. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It's one of those memory verses that we talked about last week that sometimes we memorize but we don't quite understand. This is what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now we know that. You may have even sang the song growing up. Salty the song book. Whatever person sang that whole thing, some of you went, what? what? Another one went, yeah, I remember Salty. Here's the thing that we see. We have to look at that verse in context. We have to look at what surrounds us. We fully understand what these fruit of the Spirit are. Back in verse 16 of Galatians, chapter 5, it says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. You once were in the flesh. You now are in the Spirit. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But, if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Now these are going to be fun for you, just going to let you know. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is walking in the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit, the things that should be in your life if you are in Christ is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have, what are those next words? Crucified the flesh. I'm not living in that junk anymore with His passions and His desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Why do I read this to you? Well, because lots of people claim to be Christians. And lots of people claim to be saved. And they think they did all that was necessary, like pray a prayer, or raise their hand in an altar call, or join the church, or get baptized. But the problem is, they still live in the flesh. They have missed the most important thing, and that is Jesus. They have missed Jesus. Like it says in Matthew 7 when Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who says, Hey, you're my master. Hey, you're my master. Will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What does that mean? It means that if I'm going to say he's my master, I'm only going to act like it as well. I'm going to live like it as well. They thought they were doing what was good, but they weren't doing the will of the Father in heaven. And Jesus says what to them? I never knew you i never knew you it's all about the walk of our lives you know i'm excited about summer already for a number of reasons but one of them is is that we get to go from made worthy to how we respond and walk worthy see ephesians has two sections one through three and then four through six and in four through six it starts with this there's a transition statement it says therefore i the prisoner in the lord urge you to walk worthy 
of the calling that you've received. You've been made worthy, now we walk worthy. Or Colossians 1, 9-10 says, For this reason also, since that day that we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. That's our third dub. Walk. Walk. When we look at that, you're like, wait a second, you said it was in the verse. The CSB translation says what God prepared ahead of time for us to do. But the more literal translation, if you have King James or if you have ESV or one of those, you know what it says? It says these words, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in these things. The word walk means to make one's ways. It means to regulate one's life, to make full use of our opportunities. And the tense of the word that is in here, and trust me, I'm not a Greek person. I'm just reading off of other people's stuff that they've done all the study work for me. It means once and for all. It means you don't get to turn it off and turn it on. It doesn't mean you get to to walk this way when you want to and walk that way when you want to. You either walk in Him or you don't. And so we look at this, and it means a fixed way of life that is committed to living the way God intended for His people to live. Well, how does God intend people to live for His glory? Well, I'm grateful that He didn't just save us one book or one letter of the Bible. He saved us the whole Bible, and it is full of ways that we walk. Let me share with you just a couple of them. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, favorite passages. I have to read it from the CSB. I've memorized it in the NASB. But here's what it says. Pay careful attention then in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How does He want us to walk? In His will. In His will. Not my will, but yours, God. John thirteen thirty five. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How does He want us to walk? In love. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commands. How does he want us to walk? In obedience. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, In this regard, it is required that man is to be found faithful. How does he want us to walk? In faithfulness. 1 Peter 1, 16, For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. How does he want us to walk? In holiness. Now, sanctification is a big word. It's one that doesn't get thrown around a lot except in like theological circles. But... It's a process of becoming holy. It's simply what it is. It means to be set apart for a purpose. You know why God saved you? For a purpose. He has set you apart for a purpose. He saved us from a life of sin and begins a process of transforming our life. He's making us into the image of His Son. Now let me just tell you this. We are not perfect the instant we are saved. We don't all of a sudden be like, and everything is all better. And we have a nice little glow around us and we don't sin anymore. But there is a process that is taking place. We are being changed and that change should begin to show itself in an ever-growing holiness before God and before mankind. God has planned to use these works not just in us, but for us. To change us, to make us more like Him, to display His glory in our daily lives. And that means we have to die to ourselves. 
We have to die to our fleshly desires. They must be crucified and allow Him to be that Lord. Allow Him to use us however and whatever way that He wills it. That reminds me of another memory verse from back in the day. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, I have to read it because I memorize it in a different version. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. What's he saying? You have to offer yourself up. You have to die to yourself and you have to stop trying to crawl off the altar. You have to stop saying, uh, maybe Sunday mornings for one hour. That, that's not it. It's, a, it's an all the time thing. A faith that is real reveals itself through the works that are, that are righteous. When God, through His grace, saves a sinner from spiritual death, saves a sinner from the lives of the world, saves a sinner from the depravity of their old life and the end result of his sins, He does not save that person to live however they want. He saves that person to live for Him. He brings them out of death so they can live a new life through Christ. He brings them out of the world of deception so they can know the truth. He saves them out of depravity so they can walk in righteousness. He saves them from their sins so they can enjoy the blessings of His salvation. God does not save us so that we can live for ourselves. He saves us so we can live for Him. He saves us so we can walk in the newness of life. He saves us so we can use, He can use us for His glory in this world. He saves us. And He puts us to work for Him to bring a lost world to Jesus Christ. So as we close, I just have a couple of questions for you. I know this was a heavy passage. I was challenged by it. But the first question is this. Have you been saved and changed by God's grace? Because if you, have you, if you have not, today is the day. Today is the day He will come into your life if you will come to Him and He will save your soul and He will change everything. Second question is this. Is your life marked not by perfection, but by profound change and by works that glorify God. If it is, thank God for His grace. If it is not, you should probably ask why. Is it because you haven't allowed Him to take that Lord role? You gave Him the Savior role, but not the Lord role? Or why? What is it exactly that you are chasing after? Remember how I read the second verse of the book of Ecclesiastes, that everything is meaningless, that everything is vanity, that everything is futile, all that. You know how after 12 chapters, King Solomon wraps up his book after saying, here's all the things that are worthless and meaningless. The last two verses of the chapter say this, of the book. It says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep His commandments because this is for all humility. Basically, there's only one thing to chase after. All the things in life we chase after, there's only one thing. And he had it all. So he knows. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So chase after him. Is your life marked by a profound change and by works that glorify God? Third question, are you doing everything that God has called you to do? Are you doing everything that God's called you to do? If you're not, let me invite you to fully surrender to His will and allow Him to take the reins of your life for His glory. 
I shall say this. I have never talked to a pastor that has said, well, every single one of our volunteer positions are filled. Every person in the church is doing exactly what they've been called to do. Never heard that. As a matter of fact, there's a general rule in church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be the case. And and I, I should be hearing an amen from Bruce over here who's like, come and work in the children's department. (laughs) here's what we need to see are we doing everything that god has called us to do and if not why not the last question i have is this are you grateful to him for his work of grace in your life because if you are your life should show it if you're happy and you know it that's right clap some hands you know what i'm saying we should be showing the world about the life changing work that has taken place in our lives and we should be telling them that they can experience it too. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for the way you continue to work in each and every one of our lives. The way you continue to challenge us and change us to be more like you. Sometimes it hurts just a little bit as you chisel off the junk to make that masterpiece. As you break off the things that we hold on to so tightly because we think somehow we need them when all we really need is you. God, today, I pray you are already working in our hearts. I pray you're already working in our minds to to be more like you, to come to the altar and to lay ourselves down. God, if there's people in here that don't know you as their Savior, I pray today is the day. If there's people in here that know you as Savior but don't know you as Lord, I pray today is the day that change takes place. That that sanctification process begins to work itself out in us for your glory and your honor. We pray it all in your name. Amen. This last song we're going to sing, I didn't tell Kyle what to sing or how to do it, but I looked and saw the set list and went, oh, Oh, let me read for you the words because it's exactly what I'm going to challenge you to do today. It's called, Oh, Come to the Altar. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Guess what? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with that precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and your mistakes. Come today. There's no reason to wait because Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Can I tell you that Jesus is calling you today to take the next step in your faith journey, whatever that might look like, I'll be down here in the front to pray with you. But if you want to do it on your own, I completely understand that as well. A time of confession of saying, God, you, I'm thankful for being my Savior, but I am sorry that I have tried to still be the Lord. Whatever that might look like, do that during this last song. Come.
treasure you found. That's my challenge to you today. As you head out, let people know about the grace of God that is changing your life. Let them see and hear and experience your story. I hope you have a great week. I pray that God used you in a mighty way and we get to hear great stories about how he used you and he gets the glory from it next week. Can't wait to see you on Thursday night for our prayer time and sign up with J.D. and Lisa for Chili Cook-Off because I think we need more than ten. I mean, I do. I need more than 10. So, guys, have a great week and look forward to seeing you guys back here next week. Thank you. As we continue our time of worship, I'm going to turn to the book of John. One of my favorite gospels is the gospel of John. And I'm sure I've said this before, but I'm going to continue to say it. Anybody who has the audacity to give himself the nickname, the beloved of Christ, deserves to be listened to. Amen? But before I read, I want to tell you a quick story. It's important for us to recognize that in church today, we can sometimes list the things that we're doing, but miss what God is doing. We talk about chili cook-off, we talk about the if gathering, we talk about the things that we're doing, but sometimes we get sidetracked to put what God's doing. And I'm here to tell you that God is moving through each of these things. And I want to tell you, in good Southern Baptist fashion, I'm going to testify for you this morning. God moves in mysterious ways. And our call and charge is to be faithful. And He will bring the fruit. This past Tuesday... I was getting ready for youth. I was excited. They were, the youth worship band was practicing and playing around. And I was getting last minute things squared away. And lo and behold, my little buddy, Claire, walks up to me. And she goes, hey, Pastor Bruce, can you tell me about Jesus? Sorry, give me a minute. So I asked her, I'm like, what do you want to know? And she said that she wanted to know what he did for her. And so we're like, okay. So we went into a quieter area because it was loud because of music. And we sat and we talked. And Miss Kristen was with us. And some of the youth were running around being crazy around us. And we just kind of talked about how Jesus died on the cross for her sins. And that with him, she can go to heaven. And with him, she can live a life that glorifies God. And let me tell you, I'm telling you this, but this is the response she gave me to the questions that I asked her. I asked her flat out, who do you say that Jesus is? And she told me not quite the same way, but in her own words, that exact thing. And so we talked through it, and at the end I asked her this important question. I said, hey, um, have you ever asked Jesus to be in your heart and be the Lord of your life? And she said, no. And I said, well, do you want to? And she said, yes. And I'm so excited because Reese and Melissa were there. And I'm like, Kristen, please go get them real quick before we carry on this conversation. 
And so they came in and we prayed together about having Jesus be the Lord and boss of her life. And let me tell you something. That wasn't me. God gets the glory. Because what we see around in the church body is a corporate body working together towards discipleship. Paul wrote, I sow and Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. We work together. And if there's nothing more important about today's message than this, is discipleship happens both with you and through you. So let's read from John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1, John writes, I am the true vine, and my father the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. From For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God, as we come before you, as we learn about abiding in you, as we learn about bearing fruit through the act of discipleship, that we can worship you through our serving others. Burden our hearts this morning for those that are far from you. Let us begin that discipleship journey with them and help draw them in closer to you. God, I boldly cry out, move or move us. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bruce, for sharing that with us. and. This morning, I'm going to dismiss our kids to go to their classes. And one, kids, I want you to talk to Claire about the decision she made. And then two, I need you all to remind Griffin that it's birthday by singing happy birthday to him today. Because he's 10 today, Griff. As I dismiss our kids to go to their classes. Hey, buddy, you all right? As I dismiss our kids to go to their classes, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Ephesians today. We're in the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, I would ask you to get one off the table out there, or you can actually now scan this QR code, and it will take you on your phone to the CSB, which is the version of the Bible that we have been using here on Sunday mornings. It'll be able, so you can follow along with us pretty easily with what we're reading, but today it's going to be a very simple message in the fact that we're only doing one verse today. 
As a matter of fact, this is the only time in all of our study on Ephesians we're only going to take time to do one verse. That verse today is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And the funny thing about this verse is that it brings us back full circle to what we started with in the beginning of 2023 when we began to ask the question of why? Why do we do what we do? What is our purpose? Because I think one of the biggest struggles that we all deal with, at least at some point in time in our life, is a sense of purpose. To know why am I alive? Why am I even here? Why do I live each day? As a matter of fact, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be diving into uh, our senior graduate recognition of our high schoolers and our colleges. I can't believe we're at that point in time of the year already. But any time you have a new chapter start in your life, like, well, what am I supposed to do next? How is this all supposed to go? What is God's plan for my life? On any given day, I think all people everywhere, everywhere struggle with that. When we wake up tomorrow, we might ask, well, what gives today meaning? What, what is the, the purpose of it all? And, and what is the remedy of that terrifying sense of aimlessness or purposelessness that I can't shake it? How do we fix this? And I began to, to look at that and those same thoughts, I believe, were rattling around inside the wisest man, at least up to that point in time, that had ever lived on earth, King Solomon. King Solomon wrote a book called Ecclesiastes, and if you know his story, he's a guy who had everything. He had power, he had money, he had wisdom, he had women, literally everything 